And hello, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Stuart and I'm the co-host of the Josh and Stu Wrestling Podcast. As you can hear, I'm all by myself, here to launch a new review series, where I look back at every pay-per-view in a certain year. So on my first season, I'm going to look back at a year I've heard is the best WWF slash WWE has ever created. I'm of course talking about WWF in the 2000s. So as it's January time, that means only one place to start. Royal Rumble 2000. Little bit of information for you on the pay-per-view. It was held at the famous Madison Square Garden in New York City on January 23rd, 2000. With an attendance of 19,231. With the legendary commentary team of Jerry the King Lawler and good old JR. So without further ado, let's dive into this pay-per-view. And as a wise man once said, Let's get So the pay-per-view started off with Kurt Angle, who at this point did not know whose opponent was. And the story going into this one pretty much was that um, he's undefeated. No one can defeat him. Uh, obviously, a nice little fact, he made his debut against a young Sean Stasiak. You know, interesting, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, Kurt Angle, he was undefeated uh, for nearly three months and he lost a couple of tag team matches, but he didn't lose at all. So going into this, the question is, who is going to be his opponent? Obviously, at the time, this was, as they said, the worst kept secret in wrestling. Taz just signed a contract with WWF at the time. So, when he t- so everyone knew in the arena. But when Taz's music, just to point out, love his music, by the way. Top notch. But yeah, so when it went into this, and obviously when Taz turned up, the crowd went nuts. We're talking about, like, 2000s. Like, you know, actually, there were crowds, so... It was still good. The good thing about I like about this match is it will be remembered for two things. Taz's debut and um, was it a sleeper or was it a choke? It's been debated for years. Obviously, it was supposed to be a choke, but it looked like in ECW, it's probably a sleeper. But hey, uh, what I love about this match, it was just really well executed um, in the sense that no one looked bad here. Kurt Angle would look like this is before he got to a point where he was like this wrestling machine. But it was still pretty solid for a guy that's only wrestling like professional wrestling for a couple of months or maybe a year. So he looked great. And obviously with Taz, you're trying to establish him as this um, star uh, to make him look, you know, like he's um, he belongs there. And my God, they play to his strength here. I mean, they he's known as the human suplex machine before Brock, of course. So, you know, copyright infringement. But anyway, yeah. But the court, yeah, I mean, they done... Like everything, there was this really cool top rope T-bone suplex that was executed beautifully by Taz. Uh, obviously, he, um, as we stated earlier, he won by a choke. Kanga was um, knocked out, or uh, was it choked out? I really like the way they sort of like had the seriousness of it, you know, like actually like put the EMTs and all that kind of stuff it was really cool. Um, we'll never get away with that these days because of the seriousness of head injuries and people having concussions. Um, it would be a poor taste to do it now. But it's really good. What I like, what it is, is just like he done everything. Kurt Angle was protected because he got choked out. He wasn't pinned. So he's still technically undefeated. And then Taz would just establish his badass. So after this, uh, Kurt Angle went on to win the WWF European Championship against Val Venus in a random match on Raw. And then went to feud with Chris Jericho 
for the Intercontinental Championship, where they both had a match at No Way Out and both of the belts on the line. So it's really cool stuff there. Uh, as for Taz, uh, it's as good as his golf room, to be fair. Um, the only claim to fame he had a couple of months after was that he went back to ECW because at the time Mike Awesome was um, the ECW World Champion, but he just signed for WCW. And I don't think they had any credible challenges to take the belt off him. So what they did is um, they had a deal with WWE or WWF at the time and Taz basically beat Mike Awesome and had a short 10-day reign but where Tommy Dreamer um, took the top off him. But after that, in WWF, he didn't really do much. I mean, sadly he had like some weird feud with Jerry Lawler. They had a match at SummerSlam. We'll get into that when we get to that pay-per-view. But it just didn't, it just didn't do anything. I mean, obviously now... Um, years afterwards he went into commentary and done stuff He's, he was a fam- part of the famous um, commentary team of the um, golden era of Smackdown in 2002-3 with Michael Cole that was just yeah it's just he'd done the colour commentary thing perfectly and he'd done a good job but it's just a shame WWF didn't really use him uh, the way they should but then back then it's probably the same now where just don't you have too much talent. You don't really know what to do with. It's all, you know, sign them for the sake of signing them. But yeah, so Taz was unfortunately a victim to that. So how would I have verdict on this match? Personally, I would go by like it was good, solid. So I get my record. I go by uh, one to five. So I'm going to give some good, solid three out of five. So now we get into a match that. Oh my god, it was so good going back to watch this match. Obviously talking about the Hardy Boys versus the Dudley Boys. And at the time, the first tag team tables match. Oh, this funny thing is this was a quite simple, straightforward like setup for this match. In the sense that it was basically set up when Jeff beat Bubba Ray in a singles match. The Dudleys weren't happy, so they basically attacked them from behind. Typical heel tactics here. And then they put them through a table. Following addition on SmackDown, basically they tried to do the same thing again, but the Hardys got revenge and uh, was able to um, put Devon through a table with Jeff hitting the Swanton Bomb off the stage. To this day, it's still used for high pa- high packages for any table match. So that's how defining that part was. Then, then obviously this set up the whole thing. So the match, what was it like? I mean, if you've if you've watched it, you've watched it. If you haven't, you should watch it. Um, to the to today's standards, the match was. Freaking brutal. I mean, it's really hard to watch unprotected chair shots to the head now because obviously the whole thing with uh, Chris Benoit and the whole concussion thing. Um, but you would never get away with it now. I mean, we had that thing in AEW where, you know, Cody done it. They only done it once, if you noticed, because it's just, it's too brutal now. But back then it was just like the way that chair pinged off the head, where it sounded, oh, it was brutal and hard to watch, but freaking awesome. So. Funny thing is about this match, it's only 10 minutes long. They crammed a lot of stuff in a short space of time. Uh, I mean, even by the way, went for the table uh, three minutes into the match. It was like, it was just like, they were just corking out spot after spot after spot. Uh, you had some cool stuff where we had the, him being eliminated, you had the cool thing where a nice leg drop, uh, leg drop splash combo by the Hardys from, with um, Bubba Ray was on the table out outside and then you've got Jeff uh, doing the leg drop and then you had, for some reason, Jeff just, being the crazy nut job doing a doing a, a splash from from that top. Another iconic moment as well. It was really cool. Um then after this it was just constant tables spot after table spot after table spot. Uh we had this cool thing where basically Bubba Ray hit the power bomb um on to put 
uh, mat for a table. I, I just, the table spots, everything in this was brilliant. I mean, you had a bit where like Jeff was trying to um, save his brother, but then went through a table. But because he was not put through a table, he wasn't eliminated. They were a bit fuzzy on the rules in this one. It was a bit like they were unsure what's going on. Now it's quite clear because they have tables match every day of the week. But now, but then it was just like the, even the commentary team, JR was a bit, bit confused. And basically now, but now, now, oh, now, now we get to a, a the moment that defined this match for me and probably history. Bubba Ray falling off the balcony after being, they went up to the balcony area for some reason. I mean, we keep going, this is 10, let's do 10 minutes, by the way. Let's do 10 minutes match. Now, oh, now we get to the moment that defines this match and is always played. Um, I'm obviously talking about, like, Bubba Way falling from that balcony. Oh, my words, that guy could sell. Doesn't get the credit he deserves. The guy is golden at selling anything. I mean, getting a chair shot to the freaking head is not good for the freaking brain, but... It's just so cool to see. Uh, obviously, he was put through two tables. They set up two tables before this. And he went through both of them. So he was out. And then after that, Jeff was on top of the balcony. And again, funny enough, uh, put Devon on the table. And he hit a swam tom bomb. Or as JR said, send tom bomb. Didn't really know what it was back then. Um, and he won the match in a, again, 10-minute match. Only thing about this match, I wish it was longer. I think it needed at least maybe like 15 minutes, another five minutes. Just, you know, so we can breathe a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, you guys said, rules were really confusing back then, uh, even Joe has said, and I can totally see why people love this match. It is golden. My God. The question after this is, what happened after this incredible match? Well, the, the feud, as I said, escalated with um, Edge and Christian getting involved. Ah, the famous Edge and Christian. This is where it started. So their infamous, famous match at SummerSlam, uh, the first TLC match. But yes, this was added, uh, they were added on and basically it was another situation where they escalated the idea of everyone going through tables. Uh, with the, was it Edge going, Christian going table, even Dudley's going for the tables. Even poor Terry, filfer when she was put for that table. But yes, that's, this was just to basically make the Dudleys look really hated and they were hated at this point. But uh, they did have a match right away. Uh, there was a match triple threat match between Devon, Edge and Matt Hardy and the winner would go and face whoever won the WWF Tag Team Championships at the time so and Devon won it so that set up a match between the Dudleys and the New Age Outlaws and the Hardys and Edge and Christian there was a start to build in a bit of tension between those two because they're both faces at the time and this led to a match between them two as well obviously we know where this is going but we're going to stick to where we are now so yeah so they were set up so but yeah what was the verdict, you would ask? Five out of five. It's pure perfection. I mean, you can sit there and say you need a bit longer, but if that's the only criticism I can find, I just love watching this match. I can go back and watch it again. I probably will do after this recording. So, yeah, this was top-notch. Well done, well done, well done. So, after watching something that defines how good the attitude it was and just define really how good it is now this is something that defines how bad it was at times um, i'm obviously talking about this miss rumble swimsuit competition they had a lot of these during the attitude era they had mud pool matches you had evening gown matches you had all kinds of matches that wouldn't be tolerated in today's society but i'm not going to judge it on 
what we think of acceptable today because that was that it was a product of their time but yeah just uh, i thought i'd start off with that uh no real story going into this one that i can see there was maybe that he had ivory being the woman of reason saying this is the meaning to women all that kind of stuff that funny thing is back then made her a heel but now in this day and age that make her celebrated and be a face but again another example of product of, his t- of their time it was very interesting watching that back uh, again this is it said very skippable um, you had basically a lot of women having really sexy swimsuits you had the thing with cat that um, had like the bubble wrap that was really interesting and then yeah I mean there wasn't anything obviously I'm not going to sit there and talk about the swimsuits and all that kind of stuff but yeah I mean it was a couple of things I noticed when I was watching this is um it's pretty funny that you got J- Jerry the King Lawler, obviously acting the way he is, um, acts like a, like a horny teenager, horny kid when he sees his wife. At the time, was Cat, um, and obviously saying it about the other women when she's like two feet away. I mean, if I was in, in, in any normal situation, that would be very strange. But that's wrestling for you. But yeah, I mean, obviously we had the thing when Mae Young came out because apparently the story going to that was she liked to like flash and show her breasts and all that kind of stuff that's not great to see to be honest um the only funny thing it was some funny bits in there with her when she did flash her breasts it was quite funny when they had this big sensor like sign come up sort of like you know like oh we can't it's too too bad for tv that's um quite funny because obviously now when you got streaming services like the show nudity all the time so it's just funny that they reacted that way. But it's kind of cool. It shows how like, oh my God, ton of moment. But it was kind of funny because everyone reacted in a way of like, you should anyway. But yeah, except for that, it was not very good. It was, again, I always skip these and all that kind of stuff. But it's not really much here. Funny enough that it was your Mae Young won it. That's funny, I guess. But <laughs> guessing, all you have to, guessing the joke is all you have to do to win a competition is just show... Show your breasts and the judges will give give it to you. But sadly, that's kind of a label today. Anyway, no, it's not. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so the question what happened after this? What, like, where did they all go? I'm um, obviously not going to go every single competitor. We had, we'll see the continuation of the May Young sort of like uh, Mark Henry sort of like marriage storyline. Uh, this will lead to like the famous she gives birth to a hand. Vince is a very strange individual. <laughs> uh, for the cat and Jacqueline was in it as well. Um, they had um, a feud with um, Harvey Whitman. Usual stuff for him. He was sort of like sort of like cliche, sort of like ah oh, men, I can beat any women because men are superior type thing. But obviously the joke is he looks, he's probably a weakling anyway. This has been done to death. But obviously this, but this was just like so. He won the women's title after winning a lumberjack snowball match, whatever the hell that is, and he won that. But luckily he only he only had the title for like a week. And he lost to Jacqueline on a SmackDown. And she became a two-time champion. So after this, she became champion. Cat lost her title. And we had a random Whip- Whitman in there. <laughs> God, wrestling was so bad back then. But then it was so good sometimes as well. But yes, I would normally not suggest skipping anything. But if you were gonna, if you're going to skip something, skip this. It's not good. Um, I, I gave this like a 1 out of 5. It's, I mean, I could have got like a 0.5 rating maybe, but I don't want to watch that in my wrestling. I mean, if I wanted to watch that kind of stuff, I'd do what everybody else does, but but nah, I don't. 
but yeah this is um you can this i would say for one out of five definitely skip it after that train wreck of a segment now we get to, to go to our first championship match of the pay-per-view and that was for the intercontinental championship with at the time chris jericho and china being co-champions going against hardcore holly in a triple threat match how do we get to a point where the intercontinental title was co-owned by two people well, it all started pretty much when China and Chris Jericho went against each other for the Intercontinental title in a edition of SmackDown. In this match had a controversial ending with both ending in a draw. This decision was basically made to make them co-champions that for, I have no idea, possibly just reasons to mix up the title scene just a snidge. And we are talking about the Attitude Era where basically they tried to see what happens with certain ideas to see what one sticks but this was one of them sadly this meant that they have the force to sort of work together sort of like you know help each other out when they don't want to to make sure the others win so they can still be champ co-champions hardcore holly was unfortunately one of the participants that was um, suffered because of this because they he faced both china and chris jericho to try and become the intercontinental champion but he failed because of their infighting between themselves so to resolve this, he basically challenged them both for the title so he can make it whole again. And that's pretty much how the match was pretty much set up. It's quite straightforward. It wasn't anything too crazy. But hey, some matches don't need to be completely complicated to be like a good setup. But let's look into this match in general. It was a bit sloppy. Didn't really get going really. Um, in my opinion, um, had some cool moments. I have to admit, had this cool little springboard crossbody over top rope by Jericho that looked pretty cool. It had this nice little like respect thing going on between China and Jericho when they had Hardcore Holly was swinging a steel chair and Jericho pushed China out of the way for, to protect her. That was really cool. But you know, it set up their thing like later on. It's like they've, as much as they're joking around, they've started to respect one another. There's you know. Nice little story development going on there. The ending was a bit weird. You had the thing where China hit Hardcore Holly with a chair. Maybe the lines were blurred of faces back then. But when I saw that, I was like, she's the face, right? Supposed to be the good person, right? But hey, this, Hardcore Holly was a bit of a git so <laughs> back then. So it's not really a big deal. And also one thing I noticed is like, China got the, pit, got the pin. She was the one that got pinned. I found that a bit weird because I was think if I was going to this match, I was thinking Hardcore Holly's in there to take the pin. So so like China doesn't look weak or anything like that, but China got the win. And also another thing, it was a lion cell that got the got the pinfall by Jericho. I don't think I've ever seen him get a pinfall victory with that move. Maybe because when I was watching Jericho, he was using that stuff like the Cold Breaker and the rules of Jericho, so maybe this was his finisher into like maybe mid 2000 maybe i don't know but it was just a bit weird seeing it really but yeah but i mean yeah i mean it stopped it made the jericho the intercontinental champion not a cold champion anymore um, it made sense i mean you could have put it back on china you could have put it back on china but i don't think that was where it was going and it made sense for jericho because at this point he was still building up his reputation um in wdf it's only been like what he was nearly a it's been nearly a couple of months maybe like a couple of months he's been in wwf and he was still working his way up to show how good he really is the, the storyline the cold championship intercontinental title thing was a bit it was a bit silly um but it did again it had some cool moments it was 
It was mildly entertaining because obviously China and Jericho worked well together, I thought, anyway. But I can sort of see why people don't like this storyline because it sort of is like devaluing the title and make it into just another title, another gimmick. Because the Intercontinental title has a rich history. And um, I would say it's a symbol of excellence when it comes to the professional wrestling, you know, art of professional wrestling. Um, like it was back in the 80s, like the Intercontinental title was a big deal. And if you got that, it was like gate. It's like a gateway drug. It was like it was a gateway. If you're going to be the intercontinental champion, then you'll become the. Um, it's only a matter of time before you become the WWF champion at the time. So, you could say that the intercontinental championship hasn't been the same since the Attitude Era. Um, it has it has had glimpses of moments over the years, but hasn't really got that been the same since the Attitude Era. And you could say this was the start of the decline of the title. But hey, what can you do about it? But I mean, the ma- you're not going to get slam dunks when it comes to every match on this card. But yeah, this wasn't a great match. It's, it's serviceable. I could watch it, but it's not a match you go back to. Um, so the question is, what happened afterwards, this um, feud? Well, as I stated earlier, Jericho and China um, started to show a bit more respect and sort of started teaming up like as... You know, equals now. Um, was it China was helping out Jericho with his feud with Kurt Angle uh, because of disrespecting the usual heel stuff where you devalue the title as because you, you're the champion, all that kind of cool stuff. This led to, as I stated in the Kurt Angle bit, where they both had a match for the both for the Intercontinental and European titles. So hopefully, when when I get to my next review, I will talk more about it then. But yeah, that's um, it, it was set up. Pretty cool, and Kurt Angle, Jericho, if you had that now, would be pretty huge, but back then it was still sort of that mid-card type feud, really. Uh, as for Harker Holly, um, it didn't really go anywhere. I mean, as as always, it was sort of in this match. I mean, he had he tried to go for title one or two more times after this feud, but he didn't, he didn't capture the title. Um, the, the, the most notable thing after this, he went after uh, the hardcore title, uh, against his cousin, uh, Crash Holly, that, you know, the whole thing with the sort of like tough love type cousin thing that Crash and Hark Holly have was quite cool. So he went for the hardcore title that leading up to was WrestleMania 2000. So that's what he was doing, but he was sort of like coasting after this. He never really got to the heights that he was when he was in this matchup. But overall, I would give this like a verdict of 2.5 out of 5. It's fine. It's good. It's, it's serviceable, but... It's just not great, and I think it could have been a little better. So after one championship match, now we go to the second championship match, where it was for the WWF Tag Team Championships, where the New Age Outlaws, the champions at the time, got against the Acolytes, the number one contenders. So how do we get to this point where these two are facing off against each other? Well, again, it's pretty straightforward setup. It was basically set up by someone winning a match, a number one contenders match, but in this case for the Acolytes, they won a tag team battle royal. And they won that, and the whole build-up for this was basically the DX was basically trying to take out the Acolytes for the New Age Outlaws so they don't have to face them because they were scared of them. Um, And the Outlaws were basically playing these badasses. Um, The cool thing about this thing is that we love about the Attitude Era is the use of, like, other venues outside the the freaking show. I, I always loved these sort of, like, bar scenes when you got the APA turning up and basically drinking the bar dry, and there's always a brawl. And it was a segment where the DX or New Age Outlaws went to that, 
um, bar and then obviously the APA or the Acolytes at the time went there and basically it all started off, someone said something and then it started a bar fight, it's always cool, I really wish to do more of that because it just makes the show feel like anything can happen, not even in the arena but also outside in the real world. But yeah, but the whole situation was uh, the usual chicken shit heel type things where they'll just basically do anything to win. Pretty much the setup here. The only problem about this match, pretty much, is is that you blink and you missed it. It was like three minutes long. What the hell was this? This is one of the things I really don't like about the actually there as well. When it comes to, you can talk about the uh, the women stuff, but it was the constant overbooking and the crappy finishes man seriously this was like you i this championship match should at least be like five at least ten minutes i would say f- i would this wasn't going to be like a classic so i would have put this for like 10 like 12 minutes you know enough time for a championship match but yeah i mean it was over before you knew it uh you could have like the usual thing like the ref got bumped so it's like he couldn't he couldn't see and then obviously x part came in and distracted, uh, distracted uh, Bradshaw, and then obviously uh, the Billy Gunn hit the um, faint answer and got the pin. One, two, three. It was over. I'm just like, what the hell? It'd be, it'd be outraged if you'd done that in, in WWE now. But it's just, I, I guess it had to just be over quick because obviously the, the next two matches were like pretty long. Obviously, you got the Royal Rumble at some point, so you can get it, but. Maybe if they took a couple minutes off that Miss Rumble swimsuit contest, might have been good. <sighs> nah, just, I'm not loving this match. Not a fan. <sighs> I mean, I can totally see why. Obviously, I'm not, when you get to the next paper, when they started refocusing their tag team division on the Dudleys, the Hardys, Edge and Christian, all them kind of tag teams, because the tag team division at this point didn't look great. It was just, it was just, a, it was like now, like when you have tag team champions. But you don't really have any like legit challenges, and you don't really defend them that much. So it's like you don't have credibility. This was just everyone likes the new new age outlaws. I mean, everyone loves. Back then they loved them, and they still have them on the coolest like sort of entrances and stuff like that. Yeah, this this, this match was terrible. I didn't like it at all. But uh, so what happened after this? Well, basically, new age outlaws were just continue with DX trying to disrupt everything as you do um, and obviously as I stated in the match of the Dudley boys and the Hardy boys um, where Dudley boys earned a shot to go against them in a yeah and for a title match and no way out so that we all well I can't wait to actually watch again as for the Acolytes they basically got in view also got involved in the Dudley storyline but this is where the infamous APA was born the Acolyte Protection Agency and for they were involved because the Dudleys basically hired them for protection, and they got involved, and it was um it was just pretty much what defined them. Everyone remembers the APA. I mean, it was so cool. Basically, mercenaries for hire. You know, drinking, just basically drinking, playing cards, beating people. It was great, simple, effective, and and they both worked. I like Farouk, Bradshaw, Gold, love it. And yes, they got inv- and also no way out. They were part of the involved with the match between Hardys and Edge and Christian. Because Terry hired them for protection. That was, again, pretty cool. A bit of continuity there. That's what I love about interwoven type stuff. I mean, the guy I was wearing it at the time was pretty known for that. So, for this match, I'm not loving it. Um, but it's not hurting anyone. It's fine. It's whatever. So, uh, my verdict for this, I uh, 2 out of 5. It's not, like, awful. 
and it is the Attitude Era, so what can I do about that? So after a pretty underwhelming tag team title match, now we get to the, the matches we want to talk about, or I want to really talk about. Now I'm obviously talking about the most famous, the most the thing that defines his pay-per-view is the WWF Championship match in a street fight between Triple H and Cactus Jack. I mean, the, 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 the kind of stories they talk about this match is insane. Um, even the story like leading up to it is pretty awesome. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, well, in the, the, the story to this is pretty much that late 99, the McMahon-Helmsy era took control of WWF. They got basically the old heel authority type thing, usual stuff. Um, and they were just basically being gits, basically putting um, putting wrestlers into handicap matches, basically being utter assholes. But uh, Mick, the constant good guy and likable character, was uh, protesting basically and wasn't happy, thinking you can't do that. So after that, um, basically they they done what heels do. They attacked him, made his life hell, and then at the end of '99, they basically fired him. And they made it a big deal as well. They were sort of saying, like, you know, you kind of can't do this to a legend, all that kind of stuff. Funny thing is, at this point, he was not the champion, Triple H. Um, but he abused his power that on the first Raw of 2000, he became the WWE champion by beating the Big Show. Then these weird uh, mock videos came out, you know, humiliating Mick, saying he's a washed up, he's a has-been, he's a nobody, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but um, the locker room wasn't having it. And... They chose The Rock to be their leader, ironically. And uh, we basically demanded that they rehire Mick or they were walking out. Um, so they had no choice but to rehire Mick Foley. Uh, but after this, the, um, also another thing they had to put out was that he wanted to question it would be a street fight. And he did and wanted a title match and Triple H had no choice but to agree. But for some reason he probably chose it because he was thinking of Mankind facing him. But after hitting him multiple times through Ring Bell and couple of pedigrees Mick Foley basically realized that mankind can't be the person that fights this match but there's one person that can and my god that reveal when he dawns the cactus jack uh, persona again and then starts like triple h is giving credit he's really good at playing the chicken shit heel i love it i love it it's just that it need this match wanted and it was what it needed so enough of the build-up and the storyline into this match now let's really get into this match my god this match is brutal and has so much blood. It is insane. It's They really went all out with this one. I mean, really wanted to put it over as this proper fight. You know, a street fight. It's going to get dirty. It's going to get brutal. It's going to get bloody. Kind of like that. I really wish these ton of matches sort of had that now. Like, sort of really have been watered down. I mean, I get it. They're a PG product now. But now, nah, I think these matches have to be just brutal. Maybe I'm just really sick in the head. I mean, again, they put a lot, of, a lot of stuff crammed into this bit at the beginning. You had had everything you'd want: them headshots, uh, steel chair headshots, the announced table breaks, lots. And I've put said previous lots, lots, lots of blood. I mean, we're talking about a lot of blood here. I mean, I kind of like the story at the beginning where sort of like everything Triple H was hitting at Cactus Jack, like the ring bell, just wouldn't affect him because this is his domain. The guy's insane. The guy's crazy. Uh, they had a cool moment when he had like he put like the steel chair on top of, uh, on top of Triple H's face and then put a leg drop. Oh, that looks nasty. I mean, I liked it anyway. And then what I also liked about this match is they finally used the barbed wire 
two by four or usually barbed wire bat. But it's just it's just nice to see that you actually get to use that and actually get to use it in a finish. I mean, I just like they both used it and it's just like the way it's like hit him in the face, they hit the back, they hit the stomach, they even raked it. I think I saw at one point, I think it was Cactus Jack was like waking it into his like freaking forehead. It was just, oh, it's beautiful, but freaking disgusting. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Triple H looked like a bad beating mess after this one. I mean, the good thing about this match, you know, everyone was a winner here because even if Cactus didn't win, he still looked like a badass and that's what you want from a match like this. Everyone looks good. I mean, obviously there's one thing in the hardcore matches, you always have to have thumbtacks. It's, a, it's, it's in the rule book. It has to be done. Really miss... Uh, I wouldn't be like to be that guy that has to fall on them thumbtacks. Ask Chris Jericho. Trust me. Ask Chris Jericho. Funny enough, I'm reading his book. And he's quite interesting that um, he didn't really want to do it. But hey, I wouldn't want to do it. That guy's insane. Anyway, it was just brutal. And obviously ended with Cactus Jack falling on the thumbtacks. And Triple H hitting a second pedigree on the thumbtacks. For the win, pretty much. And, yeah, my God. They, they, were, they were literally everywhere, them thumbtacks. Even his, like, head, head, elbow, everything. Triple H looked like a beaten mess. And it was exactly what is needed. And it sort of, like, protects everyone. Because, like, Triple H keeps title, so he looks strong. And, obviously, Cactus Jack looks badass. Because he said he's going to make him bleed. He, he, he said what he meant. That's also really rare these days. That actually someone says... I'm going to beat you to a bloody pulp. They do it. So they actually do what they say. It's also nice for like the credibility of faces. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm s probably missing out so much stuff. So much stuff. If you have a chance, really go back and watch this. I mean, I would suggest watch the whole pay-per-view. But if you want to take specific matches, I would say this is another one that is pay-per-view to go and check out again. Because it is brutal. I really wish they'd bring stuff like, like this back. And it's just fun to watch matches that actually feel gritty and real. You know, a bit of oomph. I really wish they'd win it back. Oh, my God. So, after this, what what happened? I mean, what happened is basically they continued feuding. Uh, this led to a match at No Way Out, where it was going to be a Hell in a Cell match, where basically, it was called, again, it was like a rematch for the WWF title. And that Mick Foley or Cactus Jack, if he lost, he would have to retire and leave the WWF forever. Well, that was the, you know, you, you know when it comes to matches like that, say, oh, you've got to leave or retire. They always come back like a couple of months. Maybe this is where it started, but I don't know. So what do I say about this match? I pretty much said everything I want to say about it. I mean, ver if I'm going to give it a verdict, it's definitely a five out of five for me. It is crazy brutal, and I love it. I love every minute of it. It's, I just, I just love, this is the, this is the kind of stuff I like looking back and with. Look at this going, this is why I like wrestling. Has the story, has the build, has the characters, it has the match type, it has the um, quality. It's just really good. I mean, this is everything I want in wrestling. Not the brutality, just the sort of like really good storytelling. Execution was top notch. Uh, I love every minute of it. So if you have a good chance to watch this match, do it. Trust me, you won't regret it. Oh, I'm worn out after this one. After watching that match, I'm just I'm I'm spent. Oh, but obviously now one more thing to talk about. And that is obviously the Royal Rumble match itself. 30 men go in, only one can win it. The story going into this one was, you know, multiple stories. But they mainly focused on the, 
the storyline between the Big Show and the Rock, who pretty much hated each other. It's quite silly when you think about how it all started. It pretty much started because when The Rock was leading the um, protest against, uh, that's the Society Authority or DX, he called everyone a jabroni. And that's the biggest insult. I mean, I don't actually know what the hell it actually means. But Big Show took offense to that because he's like saying, no, he thinks he's no one's better than him. So I pretty much ticked him off and put him over the edge. And then that just basically started building tension until... It basically blowed up and it happened in a tag team match that Triple H put them as teammates just to stir the pot a little bit. Triple H, you know, he likes doing that against his rivals, um, against New Age Outlaws. And basically, in the end, it just came to blows and they pretty much attacked each other. And building up to this match, it was pretty much them just basically trying to one-up each other um, and just trying to get any advantage they can. Um, obviously, he had other favourites was Kane was going in. Because obviously Kane was also in a feud with DX. Seems to be a pattern emerging here. But also they had uh, X-Puck was also one of the favourites because he got a number 30 spot from winning a match uh, a couple of weeks before. So there were, were a lot of favourites, but obviously with hindsight, it looks like the only two that look, that look credible were The Big Show and The Rock, let's be honest. And um, sadly because of this, um, it felt like they were treading water a little bit through this match I mean I'm not going to go on every elimination of the Royal Rumble because we'll be here forever because it's a lot of stuff to talk about but you know just talk about the, the cool stuff you know there's cool stuff that I noticed yeah I mean obviously I said they were treading water a little bit it wasn't, the crowd were a bit meh it was like full like actually they were meh standards but I mean you had the cool people when Rikishi was in there he done some cool stuff I mean this, this was obviously a start of um, a possible push later on in the year so this this um, he was pretty over, and they did push him quite nicely, um, and he eliminated like, six people, even his own teammates of uh, too cool. I mean, he even had time for a dance break, and was coining the phrase before our truth and Carmella were doing it. So, and unfortunately, and for them, uh, too cool done it better. Anyway, <laughs> also weird things they had was um, a lot of weird run-ins with Kai and Ty kept running in because they weren't in the match. They done it like three times. And you have Funaki and Michinoku, like, kept being thrown over the top rope. I mean, one weird thing, they kept showing Michinoku getting chucked over the top rope. And, like, he got injured because of this. And Jerry just loved it. He kept going back to it. Like, really weird. <laughs> kept going back to it. He loved it. He loved seeing that guy get thrown over. Um, also, we had, like, the Mean Street Posse kept attacking the APA, or the Acolytes. Um, that did start a feud um, later down the line. But, yeah, it was, like, the weird run-ins, again pointless you rarely see run-ins anymore and it kind of um cheapens the the match i i think anyway but yeah so we had like, weird things like that but when but when the rock and the big show started or mainly the rock came into the match the crowd were totally up for it um they pretty much that's they yeah they were pretty much up for the whole thing um funny thing is the final four were the big show kane the rock and x Park. so all the people that mainly you were talking about in the build-up or who like the favourites are the final four I mean that just makes sense that's just really good storytelling that he actually had like you know they built up and the few people they talked about the most are the final four and not just some random people that kind of like cause it gives it a bit more edginess to it yeah I mean the funny thing is you've got the big John Kane in the final four a couple of years ago that did happen and everyone hated it but obviously this is different time different era so <laughs> I don't know yeah the people wouldn't, that would hate that now 
But hey, um, we also had um, a thing where X Park got a little bit lucky after the distraction of the Mean Street Posse attacking the APA. The referees all got distracted, and after Kane threw him over the top rope, he still he still was able to um, survive because no one saw it. The old you know smart heel type thing. Uh, obviously, he did get eliminated eventually, and the final two was as you expect the Big Show and the Rock because they're the main story of this whole thing. And obviously we had Big Show hit a choke slam, and then he was just about to hit a power bomb just to chuck the Rock. He was getting cocky because he was like he's gonna win, but the Rock countered and the power bomb, and basically tried to put uh, was able to push him over the top rope and get the win. Ironically, they did only show one camera angle, probably because they knew that the Rock's feet did hit the floor first before the Big Show. But to keep the story going, so obviously The Rock was supposed to win, they basically didn't show it. So, you know, I just find that funny. If you, if you know the whole storyline like that, if you keep an eye on the camera, they just like, they keep on one camera. And normally they have like two or three, like well, maybe back, not back then, but they had two or three. Um, the Rock win, it made sense. I mean, um, if, even if you like, obviously I've got hindsight, cause obviously it's like, what, 20 years now, but... Even then, you had like The Rock was the main star because Austin was out because of his knee injury, and they didn't really have. And obviously, Undertaker was out as well. So the only two really like you had the good heel and Triple H. I mean, he was amazing heel. And then you had who was the face, and the only one that obviously The Rock was the perfect choice. And the great thing about uh, WWF back in this day is that they had the talent to be like if one big star goes out, they had another big star take his place. So it's not like now, for example, if I don't know, like, obviously I, I assume like, like Brock was out or like Roman Reigns was out. They were screwed because they put all their eggs in one one basket and it doesn't work. In this case, it's like they had options, but different time. But where did this all go? I mean, obviously The Rock won, um, did have a bit near the end where uh, the Big Show tried to attack him, but The Rock um, was able to get out of there. And obviously that, in the end, that continued their feud where The Rock and The Big Show, basically, The Big Show couldn't take it, and he kept trying to get people to, you know, like, he got a ref, he got a fan, he got even got videotapes back in the days when he couldn't just YouTube stuff. It's quite funny. Um, so, yeah, and then he got a videotape, and Triple H was like, give me more evidence, and we can, we'll make this match. And obviously he found a one where it was a camera angle. Maybe this was deliberate to not have that camera angle. And basically showed that, yeah, the rock did, his feet did hit, hit the floor first. And um, so a bit of a botch there by <laughs> by the end. But um, to give given credit, they did, they weaved, that maybe they made a mistake and he weaved it into the storyline. And obviously this set up a match between the Big Show and the Rock, where the Rock's uh, WrestleMania uh, title spot was on the line. That's That seems like they did a lot of it um, now, because I think they've done like two or three times now. But, like, it is a cool little device to sort of keep the winner relevant until they have the title match at WrestleMania. And I always like it. So that was all set up for the No Way Out. So that's it. This is my review of Royal Rumble 2000. Uh, my final thoughts on the pay-per-view is, is it everything that everyone says it is? Yes. I mean, it has a couple of duds. The tag team match, the Miss Royal Rumble swimsuit contest, and... Maybe you could say the Intercontinental title match, but I would say that they're, they're not great, but they're not bad, so it's just, they're just meh. 
um, and also sort of shows off the bad side of Atelier, but the good really overshadow the bad. You have Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle um, Taz, really good. You had the Hardys and the Dudleys in the tables match, awesome, five-star. You've got Triple H and Cactus Jack in the street fight. I mean, do I have to say anything more? And yeah, I mean, even the Royal Rumble match wasn't amazing, but it's, it's very entertaining to watch. And, you know, that's what you uh, want from a Royal Rumble match. You don't get bored. I was never bored watching that match. So yeah, this really got me in the mood for Royal Rumble. Prior to this recording is on Sunday, January 26th. Me and Josh are going to go down and watch it at the walkabout. It sort of is our little tradition these days to go on down on the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania and watch it down the walkabout. Really awesome place. If you're in Brighton area, you should definitely see if you can try and get tickets because the atmosphere is amazing. Well, I hope you enjoyed my first episode of my WWF 2000 review series. Um, if you'd like to follow us or learn more about us in any way, you can follow us on Twitter at Josh and Stu Pod or on Instagram at the Josh and Stu Wrestling Podcast. Any updates on our prediction game or want to like learn more, you can email us at Josh and Stu Podcast at gmail.com or you can go to our website at Josh and Stu Podcast at wixsite.com where also there will be a written review of this episode available as well. I'll be back next time with our look at the next pay-per-view in the 2000 era, and that is No Way Out. Hope you have an awesome day, and see you next time. Bye!